The podcast Under the Stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. Challenge over five weeks. This is Baz versus Halloween. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. I am your host, Duncan McLeish, and you're tuning in to the culmination, conclusion, the finale of. Baz v Halloween, that's right, this is Baz v Halloween episode number 5, the 5th and final part in this 5 week series where the Baz has been tackling one film from the Paranormal Activity franchise coupled up with a film of my own selection. So, uh, for those keeping count out there, I'm pretty sure you're all well up to date by now, but um, the current score is Halloween 3 the Baz won. So um, the first three films kind of conquered Baz, so I mean Halloween's walked away the victor here. However, there is still room to gain back that precious dignity that is required when facing off against horror movies. Um, I mean, as it stands just now, the Baz may have lost Halloween, but overall he has bet horror this year. Um, So... With that in mind, uh, there's no better time to introduce my very special guest. You guys love him to bits, or you love torturing him. I'm not, I'm not quite sure which one it is yet, but it's of course the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Hola, sexy amigos! <laughs> someone someone uh, must have been quite happy that The Orphanage is a Spanish horror movie. <laughs> yep. And this uh, paranormal activity movie I watched is set in the kind of Latino community, so I've gone old school big man, I've taken it back to the start, my friend, but I tossed in a little bit of authentic pronunciation there to keep shit fresh. I was I was very impressed. Did you like that? It sounded authentic. Hey. <laughs> it's, it's, it's as authentic as my costume sombrero. That you're wearing right now. Of course. I'm, I'm doing that and in my head just now I'm playing the Mexican hat dance. <laughs> Ole! So how are you doing? This is this is bordering on racist. Let's move uh, on. Is, is, yeah. Give me a second till I finish my fajita. Um so <laughs> <laughs> these jalapenos are spicy. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right, mate. I'm uh, I'm not gonna lie, I'm fucking glad we're at the end of this. <laughs> it's been a long, hard, shitty October. Yeah. Um although we're not quite finished, I do believe you're going to torch on me once more before the end of the week. A possible cinema excursion, but um, as far as Baz v Halloween goes, um, it, it's been surprisingly hard going, actually, I've got to say. Mm. Um, even just finding the time for me to get fit two films in and all that kind of stuff, you know, in between recordings and that, it's been pretty tough going. And uh, and some of the film, some of the films were pretty hard work as well, <laughs> um, I've got to say. Some more than others, obviously. Yeah, it, yeah. It has been a fun experience. I've enjoyed doing it. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a slog. 
<laughs> in a shift. It has indeed, but then uh, you've really just kind of got a glimpse into maybe a quarter of what I do a week, really. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, but then I, I go to bed. Yeah, that's, that's a bad That's where you and I differ, my friend. Yeah, I, I envy that, actually. So, I, yeah, <laughs> god damn you, Bass. Um, so, uh, like I like to ask at the beginning of every recording, have you been watching much in the way horror? A uh, little bit. Um, outside of the films that we're, we're going to be discussing later, I don't think I've watched any movies. Um, still up to speed with The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. It's just this fuck is so good. Yeah, yeah. So good, Duncan. Um, I've been watching Gotham as well. I don't know if I mentioned that to you in any of the previous ones, have I? No, 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 you've not. No. Um, obviously, Gotham, I'm sure most people know, but it's the kind of prequel Batman TV series thing they've got going on. Mm-hmm. With the wee, the wee moody guy out the OC playing a young uh, James Gordon, the policeman from uh, the Batman mythology. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, I appreciate this is superhero type stuff, but there's but some of the portrayals in it bore slightly on the horror mm-hmm. side of things. I've got to say, um, I wasn't sure about this when I heard that this is what they were doing. Um, I watched Arrow, which was the other DC television series. I watched about the first season and a half of that, and just kind of lost interest. It just it didn't relate enough to the comics to keep me interested, to be honest, and it was never a character I was a big fan of. But Batman's different. I'm a huge Batman fan. Um, and I just didn't hold out much hope for this, but it's it's great. And the, the standout thing in it for me at the moment is the performance of the Penguin. Oh, right. The, the kind of iconic Batman villain, who, to be quite honest, I always thought was shite. <laughs> um, we all remember fucking Danny DeVito's horrendous fucking uh, portrayal of him in the second of the <laughs> who's his face we creepy goth Tim Burton Tim Burton uh, yeah. his Batman films eh? but the boy that's playing it in this I don't know his name I haven't bothered going in researching the guy but the guy playing it in this is phenomenal and he's kind of bordering on serial killer territory and just his his portrayal of the penguin is spot on the way They've turned him into the Penguin. It's brilliant. If you've not checked it out, watch the first couple episodes, Duncan. I think you would probably quite start digging it, I've got to say. Oh, cool. Um, Check that one out. Other than that, I also sat down. I strapped on the big boy pants last night. Oh, God. Sat down and I watched the first episode of American Horror Story Freak Show. (laughs) All right. Oh, that's a messed up watch, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's pretty full on. I, I, I quite appreciate it for being as full on as it yeah, is. Yeah, it's not... I think I was expecting it to be... Like, I, I remember the, the first episode of the very first one, mm-hmm. first American Horror Story, and the first episode of Asylum yeah. scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like, proper scared. Yeah. You know, like fucking TV one. Baz Lost kind of thing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um... This one didn't get me that way, but it's so weird and just uncomfortable mm-hmm. and kind of unpleasant and stuff like that. It just leaves you feeling totally fucked up by the end of it. Yeah, I think um, that show has a particular way of maybe not necessarily being the most coherent programme, but there are set pieces within it or particular sequences within it which, like, kind of transcend the series uh, and to me the that that image that clown running towards that woman um is one of those things that's right from nightmares i mean and i'm not even particularly scared by 
cleanse, but... Is that when he first appears? Yeah. And it, you just it, see him standing at the edge of the field? Yeah, and he does a magic... Creepy as fuck. He does yeah. a magic trick for, for the, the, the woman, and then he kind of, he kind of, well, he attacks the guy, but when she's kind of crawling away from him, and he turns around, and he just starts running at her, and uh-huh. I was like, that's, I mean, that's... That's terrifying. That's absolutely yeah. fucking terrifying. So I've got to say, when he appeared at the edge of the field, I was more freaked out by that. Hmm. It just, just the thought of it. Yeah. You know, you turn around and quite a distance away, but you just be like, what the fuck did I do here? I want yeah. to run away, but what if there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for this? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm running away like a complete fanny. That really unnerved me. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say, the big Jessica Lang. It's just on top form. She is again. again I mean, she? yeah, this is this is uh, reportedly her final season. With, yeah, with, with the program, and um, I mean, there's been a couple of criticisms flung out at the show to do with the musical numbers. Um, the the guy Ryan Murphy, the guy behind it, he was also involved with the first season of Glee. So, <laughs> and we keep coming back to this with you, Baz. You liked the first season, <laughs> but uh, I watched so, it, didn't like it. <laughs> So, so he was involved with that. So, yeah. um, there had been, I mean, one of the big kind of gripes flung at the previous season was there was too much Stevie Nicks, um, singing, yeah. and um, I didn't mind that to be honest with you. Um, Did you ever watch the last episode? It's funny you should say that. I watched it like about a month ago, um, yes. and I can't remember why we didn't talk about it here. And I quite liked I, it. I had wound you up to shit about the first three minutes. Yeah. I told you. First three minutes would ruin your entire life. Yeah, I, I mean, it didn't really. <laughs> I actually quite like that. The Seven Wonders, the Sang the Fleetwood Mac song. Aye, that was shite, dung. Music, music aside, I quite liked the way they tied it all, and it was very kind of. It's to me that's American Horror Story always has had a trouble kind of sticking the landing of their their series. I mean, every single series has had a fairly goofy ending. Yeah. You know, not not the strongest ending, but once again, I mean, I'm, I, I never really, that doesn't, that's never really bothered me because I've always thought that collectively throughout the whole season, there have been things I've really liked. I really liked a lot of the, the stuff in uh, Coven, a lot of the witch stuff I really liked. I know, I know a lot of people got put off with it. But yeah. I, I really liked that. Even ju- Asylum to me is still like a work of art. I mean, that, that it's, Asylum see, was beyond fucked up, man. But that's why I liked it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. any any television show that can put you um, in in the in the middle of the season as well, about Christmas time, can give you a serial killing Santa. Mm-hmm. Um, just just going crazy. That to me, I I love that sort of stuff. So the, I mean, the, the one in the Asylum, the experimenting on that girl when you see her dragging herself up those stairs. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, I couldn't get that out of my head for days. Yeah, I mean, but that's this is what I'm saying. They they're really good at that. And unfortunately, yeah. and I'm not not really spoiling anything here. I've watched three episodes, and there's a musical number in each episode. And um, oh, right, this right, is okay. this has been kind of annoying certain people. I'm like that. If the only thing you can complain about is a three-minute musical number in each episode, and the rest of that episode's brilliant, then yeah. stop fucking moaning, man. Honestly, yeah, it's, I fucking adjust your panties. And and the the, the the massive controversy about the fact that Jessica Lang sung a fucking Bowie song from the seventies, and they're like, but the program's set in the fifties, and I'm like, and. 
Oh, Once again, she if, wasn't covering a Bowie song, though. It was supposed to be a song that they'd come up with. Yes, that's the Jesus, whole point. I, I so, know that that irritates me. That's just been but, but these these are the same people. These, these are exactly the same people that have no problem fucking, you know, watching other programs which have no coherent merit at all. The whole mm. that is fantasy. It's a fantasy television program that this this troupe never existed. They're yeah. kind of playing on things that are, you know, stories like certain characters in there are based in fact. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so I mean, that's that's the point. Um, and they put their own kind of quirky spin on it. I'm really liking the fact that it seems to be done on a smaller scale. I mean, most of it's set around the the circus tent, really. Uh-huh. Kind of, I, I'm quite digging that because I think in some of the other ones um, where they've tried to go too far afield, like Coven, for example, went to... Kind of seven wondering different... all over New Orleans and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, that's that's pretty cool, but I really want to know what's happening back at the school. Um, uh-huh. So I, I like the fact that they're kind of sticking to that. I'm only three episodes in. I know you're only one at the moment. Yeah. I'm loving it. I, I, th- I still think that programme delivers to me a more wacky, zany, crazy shit than any other programme you watch. But there's... Oh, yeah. It still, has, it still has... I mean, episode three, when you get to it, Baz... Kathy Bates' performance, I mean, is phenomenal. Absolutely. She has like a... I mean, the episode's almost kind of all about her to an extent. But you get a lot more of her backstory um, and just her... Yeah, uh, oh, man. I, I know so- she, she's playing this with an accent and I'm trying to rack my brains. It's either, to me, it's either Canadian or Pennsylvania Dutch. I think it's... I think... Um, it, it, it's funny because whenever I've spoke to Americans about it, they've all got different takes. Some people are saying that it's more a main sort of thing, kind of similar to what she did in things yeah, like... But, but, yeah, I don't necessarily think it is. I'm kind of with you. There's a kind of twang of the Canadian in there about yeah. the way she says things Ooch, like... Yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. Yeah. And it, it could very well be Pennsylvania. They've not kind of touched on that yet, but no, her performance, Baz, oh, the third episode, she delivers... I can't talk about it, obviously. Fair enough. Yep. But there's there's a particular sequence where it's mostly about her, and it's 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 in that sequence you you're reminded why that woman's got an Oscar. So you know what I mean? Yep. Um, I mean, I, I've, really got to say, I've only seen the one episode. I was thoroughly disturbed by it. <laughs> um, I've got to say though, I enjoyed it. it it's kind of, you know, my feelings towards Coven, I didn't really enjoy it pretty much for the often. I just thought it was a bit wishy-washy for my taste. Yeah. But this is, is reaffirmed. Every character in this creeps me out or disgusts me or kind of repels me in some kind of way. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? I thought the uh, the, the sex scenes with the flipper boy oh, was, I didn't know. <laughs> I really didn't see that coming. That was fucking, <laughs> yeah, that was a bit wrong as well. Um, yeah, no, but so I watched that. Uh, I think yesterday I watched that actually, uh, and I've, I've been pleasantly surprised by that. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but I hate to use the term enjoy because by the end of it, I was going to just feel like, oh, God, that was a really hard going hour. But it's like you say, that's what they do. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, they creep you, they freak you, they make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you're right, I don't, there's no other telly show that I've seen. 
um, in recent times that even comes fucking close. Yeah, I think uh, about that, yeah. that response from you, you know. I mean, it's like it's like I was saying. We've got you've got the serious drama of The Walking Dead, right? You've mm. got the kind of cookie crazy zaniness of a program like The Strain. You've got the kind of twisted, morbid nature of a program like Hannibal. Um, that you need American Horror Story to do what it does to fill mm. in the blanks, or all you're going to have is the same program but just by a different name every single you know every horror program is going to be the same if you don't have these ones exploring because horror is such a, a rich kind of mining ground for 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 ideas and styles and techniques and and you know and i love the fact that american horror story always pulls elements from movies that i know and just puts their own twist on it and um that to me is its strength and at the moment it's still doing that so yeah i'm i'm 100 percent on board it's like one of those programs every year i can't wait for October, because I know you know American Horror Story is going to be there, and it broke records with that debut episode. Over ten million uh, people tuned in for it, which broke um, FX records. It's the highest number of people that's ever tuned into a season right. um, kind of premiere, and uh, it's already been greenlit, greenlit for season five. So I'm I'm down a hundred percent, my man. Coolio. So that's been me. What about yourself? Um, I did a lot of watching actually for shows that haven't happened. <laughs> So <laughs> that all got all get, kind of got muddled up and cancelled. Um, so and I, I watched. I've been trying to catch up with some of the the more recent horror movies. Kind of at the back of my head, I'm I'm pretty much aware that you know I'm going to have to do a top twenty list at the end of the year for the midnight horror shows. So I kind of need to have an idea of cramming as many horror movies in so I can start ranking them. Um, and, you know, obviously for like things like top five lists as well, I need to kind of get things in order. So uh, I checked out the new VHS movie, VHS Viral, which is the third right. one. So they are uh, anthology series. They, yes. might be on, they might be on Netflix if you've never seen them. They are certainly the first one. It's actually on my list to watch because I remember... One of the first podcasts I did uh, for Rotten Reels way mm-hmm. back, you talked about that film on yeah. that, yeah. Um, and it stuck in my head. So I've got it on my list to watch, but I've never watched it yet. I, I mean, my my issue with them is not unlike what I was talking about with the ABC's death um, last last week. Um, yeah, and that I think that um, they they tend to pull in more famous directors, especially in the first one. Some of the names involved with the first one were pretty big. Um, my issue is I think some of them are excellent, some of them not so good. But then I've spoken to other people that have said the ones I've liked have been shit and they've preferred other ones. So they're yeah. obviously trying to cover a wide base. There's a huge market out there. Um, I, I kind of liked half of the first one. I kind of liked a third of the second one. I didn't really like anything of the third one, if I'm honest. No. Um, the the films have always had a difficulty with the wraparound story. Um, this one was the worst one I think I've ever seen in any anthology. It was just nonsensical. Um, it didn't have a purpose. There was no real reason for it even existing. I'd much rather they just had the three short movies back to back. I thought the stories of the first two short movies were excellent. I thought the actual mm-hmm. stories themselves were excellent. I would love to have seen them as feature movies, but uh, the kind of cheap way they're shot with the found footage, um, the kind of gimmicky nature they tried to put in there just put me off them. And the final story I just found boring. It's I've seen it before. It was just really boring. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of that. I'm afraid. Um, like I say, the stories of uh, the first two short stories 
are actually really quite interesting and are more kind of based in science fiction than they are in horror, um, mm-hmm. which I quite liked. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly good watch. I watched the original Town That Dreaded Sundown. The remakes out now. Um, it was helmed by the guys behind American Horror Story. So and it's been getting rave reviews. I still see it. But the originals from the seventies. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a, a kind of like a proto slasher, um, in that it predates the kind of it predates Halloween and things like that. But it's heavily influential on things like um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, etc. You know, there's been elements of it taken out and used in slashers afterwards. Um, it was actually quite a lot of fun. I've seen it before. It's been years since I saw it. Um, I did that for Devour, but that's that show didn't happen yet. It will happen at some point. I watched Friday the Thirteenth Part Five for the same show which never happened and I love that movie even though I can't talk about it because you're going to be watching it at some point <laughs> but there, there are there are gripes that people have with it that I don't necessarily cling on to I quite enjoy the kind of nonsense factor of that movie um, I checked out I'm trying to remember everything, I've watched a lot man, um, I watched Young at Heart which has nothing to do with horror at all but I'd watched that for Duncan and Bo Come Correct which never happened either um, where me and Bo this week were squaring off with documentaries against mm-hmm. each other, uh, he chose Young at Heart which he put as the, the proviso for this one was a statement that he was pretty much sure that if I watched it I would cry Um and I warned Bo in advance that I didn't cry at my wedding or my father's funeral, so it was unlikely a film was going to extract a tear. Um, but Bo was still confident. Um, I didn't cry. So um, I'm just letting you know, Bo, I didn't cry at the movie. But basically, it centres around a group of, kind of like a geriatric singing group who mm-hmm. do kind of modern covers, like covers of rock songs and, and all the rest. And basically it follows the group as they're getting ready for their new show and obviously tragedy hits with certain people being of a certain age with illnesses, etc. And it kind of just follows follows that. I thought it was a really good documentary. I think the documentary I've chose for Bo is better. So if he hears this one, he knows it's coming. I had never seen it. I just heard stories about it. Um, it was called The Act of Killing. And it's a pretty tough watch. Um, it kind of follows the. It's like the, you're you're given, right? Get this right. You're you. It's set with a group of gangsters, right, in Indonesia, um, that are retelling. They're shooting a series of short movies done in any style they want, which basically tells of the the communist cleansing of 1965 and 1966, um, where basically the government overthrew the communists, with aid from the West, overthrew the communist government, basically made communism illegal and then paid gangsters to hunt them down and execute them and millions died. Um, But these these people are heralded as heroes in society. Even today, they're still heralded as heroes. Um, So basically, given this gangster who is... He basically, what he does is he kind of, he tells you a bit about it and at the very start of the documentary he's very kind of blasé about the killing techniques he did and how many thousands of people he killed. Um, but throughout the series of him doing different short movies covering different things that happened in it, it starts to kind of sink into him what he's actually done. Um, and the last 10 minutes of that movie are fucking so heavy. It's, yeah. oh my God. Um, so I watched that and that was that was amazing. That documentary is, uh, if you if you have a stomach for something 
a bit darker with a subject matter. If you, I mean, if you like like war documentaries and things like mm. that, you probably cope with this all right. But if you're yeah, not yeah, used yeah. to watching things like serial killer documentaries or people generally being very blasé about killing folk, you know, then you might want to avoid that one. Um, I really, really. No, I would it. definitely. I like a good documentary, um, and I don't know. I think I, st- I handle them better than I handle. Like um, horror movies. I, to be quite honest, I think because I know it's grounded in truth kind of thing. I don't yeah, know, yeah. it kind of freaks me out less. But yeah, I like a good documentary. So, so I, 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 I thought it was excellent. Um, out with that, I, I'm sure I have watched. I've watched a ton because this is the season to watch lots of horror movies. Um, this is the season to be scared shitless. Yeah, well, I'm busy this week. I mean, this is this is Monday when we're recording this. I'm yep. hoping to get this up either tonight or tomorrow. Um, and then I'm recording with 12 MCs of Terror, which is Ryan from Graveshift Radio and Matt Walsh um, on their show, doing three movies there for that. Uh, I then do Midnight Horror Show. Our Halloween show is on Wednesday. And then Friday, Halloween itself is when the Grave Encounters commentary drops. And guys, that is a f- fucking... F- Oh my god, I've never laughed. That podcast is sponsored by the word fingering. And what I would say to you is if you fancy taking a shot every time you hear Baz said fingered, um, you will have to get your stomach pumped by the end of it. So uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, it's funny because it's true. Uh, it's funny because it's true. So, uh, with that in mind, uh, catching us up today, um, are you ready to do our first movie review, Baz? I am, sir. Ah, well, I see we get into it. Uh, up first is the Gilmero del Toro. Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. Thank you very much. Vanessa will appreciate that because Vanessa once kind of gave me a row for bad Spanish. Um, So, uh, Guillermo? Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro produced movie, um, the Spanish horror movie, The Orphanage. And we're going to be right back after this. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss, kiss the, the goat. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture? without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com There are children 
who can see a hidden world. Whose imagination opens their eyes. Welcome back. So you have just heard the trailer for The Orphanage. Right, so basically what we've done every single week is I have picked a, a movie to go alongside the Paranormal Activity movies that we've had. Um, and basically my kind of point behind this was to try and pick movies that one, I like for a start, but two, all kind of cover different aspects of horror whilst not necessarily being your standard go-to movie within them. So this, um, The Orphanage, came out in 2007, and it's a ghost story. So it's just a plain, basic ghost story, but it's what I would class as a Spanish ghost story. So Spanish ghost stories tend to involve kids. Um, Del Toro has a, a particular penchant for doing that sort of stuff. Um, and instead of butchering all the names with my fucking horrible Scottish tongue. Um, we're just going to say that the director is J.E. Biona. Um, it was based on a Sergio Sanchez screenplay. Um, and without reading the cast members, I'm just going to jump straight into the synopsis and says, uh, a woman brings her family back to her childhood home, which used to be an orphanage for handicapped children. Before long, her son starts to communicate with an, an invisible new friend. That's a pretty bleak sparse fucking yep. uh, synopsis really uh, which which means that Baz has got his work cut out for him because that means Baz has to fill in the blank so Baz this was your final pick from myself yep. um, I genuinely have no idea what you thought of this I, I've kind of known in advance with some of the other ones because we regularly chat during the week you told mm. me just before we started recording this that I was going to be pleasantly surprised, surprised which makes me think that this might be fairly negative, so I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of strapping myself in here. Can you tell us what you thought of the orphanage? I certainly can, Duncan. Let me flesh out that frankly shite synopsis for you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, so I settled in the other night to watch the orphanage. Um, viewers of our uh, Facebook page or our Twitter account will have seen a picture of me and my twelve-year-old daughter clutching the case in terror. <laughs> um, so, in case you didn't figure it out, my twelve-year-old kid helped held my hand through this one. Uh, so, yeah, Tess watched this one with me. Um, 
having I'd obviously checked out on IMDb, I'd checked out the wee parental guide to make sure mm-hmm. there was nothing inappropriate and there wasn't. She's quite good with horror, my daughter. She breezes through scary stuff, but obviously we don't want anything inappropriate there kind of thing. Yeah. So, the film itself, um, it opens up, there's a, a brief uh, intro scene, if you like, before the titles, which consists, we see some uh, little girls playing in the garden of a very large house, which we very quickly find out is the Good Shepherd Orphanage for Children. And as you mentioned there, the children can have special needs of various descriptions, uh, physical disabilities and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find out just at the end of the little intro that one of the children is leaving and her name is given as Laura. She's basically been shown out um, by one of the staff and they say, you know, your friends will miss you, Laura, or words to that effect kind of thing. And we see her leaving. And then goes into a kind of elongated set of title credits coming up. Um, interestingly, the, the titles are done that's hands tearing strips of wallpaper away and as they pull it away, the names are underneath kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This has a... I noted that down because I thought that's going to have some bearing on this and it does actually come in later on in the film. When we get into the film proper, um, obviously the film is Spanish, um, as you said right at the start, so it is a subtitled film, um, which Mm -hmm. I'm slightly concerned my daughter might not dig that, but she trotted through it quite the thing, so it didn't bother her at all. Um, A woman, we see a woman waking up with a child crying out for her kind of thing, um, and we quickly find out her you, you realise that this woman is the Laura, the little child that we saw leaving the orphanage um, in, in the little intro scene. The little boy's name is... I've written your Simon, it's pronounced Simone um, by the Spanish. Um, and he, he appears to be her child, her son kind of thing. Um, and he's playing in his room and he's talking and stuff like that. And we find out he has imaginary friends. Now, at this point, it is just imaginary friends that he has like childhood imaginary friends kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and we find it fairly quickly that it looks like Laura um, has moved back to the orphanage with her family which includes her husband Carlos who's a doctor they've moved back to the orphanage to reopen it it appears to have shut down um, and in this opening scene as well she talks to Simone about a, a lighthouse which is not quite in the grounds but very near on the edge of the coast which doesn't work, hasn't worked in years kind of thing uh, the next day there's workmen there, they're working away quite the thing, her husband Carlos he's playing the piano and Laura and Simone go a walk down to the beach where there is an enormous cave um, rather uh, I'm trying to think of the right word to use here Rather recklessly, uh, Laura quite happily lets young Simone, who's about three, gives him a torch and sends him off into the cave. <laughs> uh, fucking, you're asking for trouble here, hen. Do you know what I mean? He's a bit, he's maybe not quite three, but he's a small child. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He'd be like, right, hold my hand and we'll take you into the cave here a wee bit. The other wouldn't give him a fucking torch and just pack him off into it. Anyway, um, <laughs> so they're in there. Um, and he goes off his wee torch and he's exploring and he seems to think he sees somebody kind of further on in, in the cave and he kind of follows them in. Doesn't come back, the mum gets a bit worried, she goes looking and um, she sees him talking to somebody who's kind of out of sight, we can't see them. She just assumes it's these imaginary friends he has. But mm-hmm. then um, we see kind of footprints, I'm still not sure if they were meant to be Simone's or if they were meant to be somebody else's, but there's footprints shown in the sand. When he leaves, he leaves a trail of shells and he says, Mum, oh, so my, my new friend can follow us back kind of thing, I'm going to leave this trail of shells up to the house kind of thing. 
Later on, uh, a social worker, a rather odd older woman, appears. Mm-hmm. She introduces herself. Um, I can't remember her name. I will come back to it because it's later on in my notes. She introduces herself. She says she's a social worker. She's there to talk about Simone. Um, and it, they mention this disease. We also find out that he's adopted, mm-hmm. um, but he knows nothing about the fact that he's adopted or the fact that he has a disease, and it's quickly revealed that the boy's HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Um, this social worker, she gives the Laura this big report thing she has about her, and she locks it away in this box with a big, very ornate key. Um, that night, there is a, there's a banging and hammering kind of sounds, and Laura goes out into the garden. Um, there's a kind of outbuilding, like a kind of shed kind of thing in the garden and she goes in there, the door's open, she goes in and the crazy old social worker lady is in there with a spade and it's very creepy the way that she appears as she kind of walks through, you just see her at the back and she's, that was, it's not a huge jump scare but it, mm-hmm. it was the first bit where I kind of felt, oh, no, no, it's quite, don't quite like that, that was a bit creepy kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. and then she, she runs away, she pushes by her and runs away and it, it's quite comical the way that she runs off Mm -hmm. it's not like she's fleeing it's almost like a kind of comedy kind of scamper which is quite odd but then i did begin to think i know you told me that del toro had done like pan's labyrinth and films like very kind of fantastical yes you know i'm going to use the word unrealistic maybe not what i mean but you you know what i'm kind of getting at yeah it's all very elaborate kind of thing and i thought well maybe it's just his style but i did have a wee chuckle at that Never we look about for her later on, but they can't find her. Um, the next day, Laura goes out. She opens the front door, and there is a pile of shells at the front door. And we're assuming that this relates in some way to the trail that we Simone had left from the beach. There's a bit where a door inside the house closes on its own. None of it is particularly scary or eerie at this point, with possibly the exception of the woman in the shed. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, we find Simone. He's reading Peter Pan. And he's telling his mum how he's never going to grow up. And he also mentions the fact that he has six new friends now. These imaginary ones. Um, and later on, Laura finds a drawing of them. Um, and one of them looks very strange. His head looks very strange in the drawing. Um, and Simone starts saying what they do as friends is they have this game where they steal your treasures and they give you a treasure hunt, and if you find the treasure at the end, if you find your own treasure again, they'll grant you a wish. And he says he's got coins that an old man left him. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that they're not coins, it's a box of kids' teeth. Uh, sorry, no, that that's not right. It, it is coins, but when they go to get them, they're not there. It's a box yeah. of children's teeth, like teeth. milk teeth. Yeah. Um, and this leads them in uh, to this treasure hunt they go from finding those so he says where did you keep my milk teeth and they go to find that and the milk teeth are gone and it's full of sand so then they go outside and they find sand and it goes on like this um there's a ring they go to a sewing box so on and so forth kind of thing they go through this kind of convoluted treasure hunt um and they end up they find the big key that she locked away the file with yeah and he goes straight into the drawer, he's kind of running ahead of his mum, pulls out the file and that, and the money all falls out. And he kind of puts the file down, he's, he's only interested that he's found his money again, he thinks he's won the game. Um, but suddenly now he knows, he kind of falls out with Laura, and now somehow he knows that she's not his real mum. Mm-hmm. And he says, Thomas told me. 
and he says I'm going to die as well kind of thing and then they're shouting about um, that they can have a big argument this is the first we've heard of this Thomas we assume he's one of the, the friends uh, so the next day or later that day or something some new kids kind of start arriving um, and there is a party in the garden and it is the world's creepiest children's party <laughs> Um, everybody's walking about wearing masks and it's not like there's no Spider-Man do you know what I mean a fucking Casper the Friendly goes it's just hideous like handmade paper mache masks like fucking plague masks or something it's awful a lot of these kids a lot of these kids are like you know they've got learning difficulties and stuff like that they must be fucking terrified Uh, there's, there's a weird old man walking about with like a wee toy gun shooting at people he looks more fucking mental than MD anyway so right creepy party um, and we see that there's one little child standing in the garden wearing a really terrifying kind of sack mask mm-hmm. um, at this point Laura can't find Simone they'd fallen out earlier on she can't find him anywhere she goes looking for him and this scary little kid that we saw she goes down a kind of hallway into a bathroom to see if she can find Simone. And when she turns around, she hears a whistle blow and she turns around and it's this creepy little child and it's it's really scary looking, this wee kid, mm-hmm. with this like sackcloth kind of very rough looking mask pulled over his head. Um, and he's got a whistle hanging around his neck. Um, and she it comes down the hall and she's over, she thinks it's Simone, she goes to take the mask off and it attacks her and locks her in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Her husband then comes, so later on, he breaks her out, they still can't find Simone. They run away down to the cave, and she's terrified that he's gone back there on his own because the tide's coming in. She thinks she can see him, she falls, she breaks her leg. Carlos is in, there's nobody there, kind of thing, and he stops her going before she drowns, kind of thing, you know. Later on, we see a there's a police boat out searching the water, there's police at the cave... Laura's in hospital with her leg. Everyone's out looking for Simone. Um, Carlos comes in with a police psychiatrist woman. I think her name's Pilar or something like that. Um, and she raises the possibility that he's maybe been kidnapped by a member of his real family because he's adopted. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody tracked him down or something. Um, she also says that nobody's ever heard of this social worker character that appeared earlier on. Yeah. Um, they get the name and she's like, there's no record of this person kind of thing. Um, that night, uh, Laura's back at home with Carlos. She wakes up hearing this whistle going, so obviously she's out of bed in the wheelchair kind of thing, trying to investigate it and that. There's footsteps going all over the house. There's a big bang. Um, we find a little doll in Simone's bed. The next scene, there's a radio report, and it's basically telling us it's now six months later. Mm-hmm. The radio report is about the, the loss of this wee boy. Um, excuse me while I take a sip of my red wine. I'm in a Spanish mood. <laughs> um, the, the, the wee boy had disappeared six months earlier, basically, so we, we now know it's, it's later on. Um, Laura's at a support group type thing, mm-hmm. and she's saying that Simone's imaginary friends are in the house and stuff like that. Um, and people are trying to say, you know, that that's a coping mechanism for your grief kind of thing. But she's absolutely adamant that he's not dead and says that these friends took him and she says that she saw one referring to the scary kid that attacked her. Um, 
they're either out in the car, they're driving home, they're going through a town, and they basically see the old social worker woman pushing a pram. Um, Laura shouts her. Um, sorry, I'm actually saying Laura. I think it's Laura, you pronounce it in Spanish. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, that's fine. I'm, I'm going to call her Laura. Fuck it. <laughs> I, I, I made the effort with Simone. Do you know what I mean? Um, so Laura shouts on her. Um, and she stops, and there's my fucking Avast virus database scaring the crap out of me again. <laughs> oh, Duncan, I need to change my antivirus provider. Sorry, everybody. You both, in case you didn't hear the last podcast, every time I record this and I get myself all atmospheric, my computer tells me that my virus definitions have been updated and it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> oh! You sip on my red wine. <laughs> We're back in the game. Um... Yeah, so, uh, Laura shouts on her and, and she stops in the road and turns round and is hit by a lorry kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're basically killing her and, and the, the pram gets caught underneath the, the, the front wheels of the lorry kind of thing. Everybody's screaming, running after her and all this kind of stuff. Um, the And the doll, she Laura goes under the, the lorry to pull. She thinks it's a body and pulls it out, but it's a doll. But it looks like the scary wee kid that we saw earlier on. Yes. Uh, and the woman's dead, um, and her face, it's one of the few kind of gory bits in this, her face is very distorted, like a wheel went over her jaw or something like that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they look down, she's got a whistle around her neck, and as Laura goes to grab it, the the woman's not quite dead, and she grabs her wrist kind of thing, which is a, a wee bit of a jump scare, um, and then she dies properly kind of thing. Um at the investigation, they're at this, Benigna is her name. That's the name of the social worker, Benigna. And at her house, they find an old photo of Laura and the other kids from the orphanage. And Benigna is in the photograph as a younger woman. Turns out that she had worked in the orphanage at one time for a brief kind of period of time. She also had a, a deformed son who lived mm-hmm. there with her called Thomas, who wore a sack mask on his head to hide his face. And it's the same as the, the creepy wee kid that we saw earlier on kind of thing. And we find out that he drowned in the cave. Mm-hmm. And that the other kids had basically played a trick on him. They'd taken him into the cave and grabbed his mask and ran out the cave, yeah. hoping that he would come out and they would see his face. Um, but he didn't come out and he drowned. Um, and we see a sort of shot of him in an old kind of 35mm movie kind of thing. Um and it's revealed that you know the kids weren't punished. They were just children, and they were just playing a game. It just kind of went horribly wrong, kind of thing. Um, and I've written here it's a very, very atmospheric film. This yes, up, up to this point, there's a couple of wee kind of minor kind of frights in it up to this point, but it is just in general, it's hugely atmospheric. You're not necessarily sitting there shitting yourself the whole time or on edge, mm-hmm. but it really fucking draws you in this film. I found anyway, it certainly yeah, did yeah. for me. Um, we then see Laura, she's in bed, uh, something appears to get in there, and this is a wee bit paranormal activity, and it was the first kind of doubts I had about this film, I was like, oh, fuck, here we go, ghosts in the bed, <laughs> do you know what I mean? She thinks it's Carlos, he comes out the bathroom knowing she's a bit freaked out. Um, she then goes to see a kind of psychic guy who refers her to a medium, or a medium, rather than a medium, a medium's a size of clothing. <laughs> There's a medium um, who comes to the house, kind of a small team to investigate this. They're kind of convinced that there's ghosts in this house now. And they begin the, the investigation at night and everybody's kind of watching on a 
camera in like a wee kind of control room, if you like. Um, the medium goes into a trance and she says she can hear someone um, and she's kind of walking about the house in this trance. Um, and they seem to pick up kids' voices on their audio equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, the medium can't get into the room that the kids, she hears them in this room, she can't get in, she kind of talks to them. And they're saying that they're all sick and they want her to open the door. And she gets it open and she kind of looks horrible, uh, horrified rather, absolutely horrified. We can't see what she's seeing. Um, and she says, oh God, what have they done to you kind of thing, you know? And mm-hmm. she's saying there's five children, they're all really, really sick. They've been poisoned. At this point, the camera stops working. And when it comes back on, she's just back sitting in the first room again. Um, they have a kind of debrief after all of this, the kind of team that's there and Laura and her husband and that. Um and the medium explains that people that are near death are more susceptible to seeing spirits. Yes. And that's why Simone could see them. Because obviously he was HIV positive, if you like. He was kind of always on the way to death type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this police psychologist, Pilar, is still there at this point, though. Um, and she reckons it's all a, like a parlour trick. But Laura sends her away. And the medium tells her, you know, you have to believe. That's the most important thing you have to believe. Um Later on, Laura goes looking for the spirits. She's asking where they are, and a window falls and it smashes. Um, she finds a box with the kids' names on it and dolls inside. Um, and it's got a picture of her and Simone in it. She goes to the photo album where the picture should have been. She finds a rose. So this then leads us into another one of these treasure hunts that we had. Yes. Um, and it, it, we end up back in the outhouse building where she found the social worker woman. And she finds Benigna's brooch there. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of like they're like old wood burning ovens or, or boilers for an old fashioned heating system kind of thing. A little mm-hmm. bit Auschwitz type thing, I've got to say. <laughs> um, she kind of smashes her way into these oven boiler things, and she finds old sacks in them. Yeah, no, I mean I, I kept kind of expecting it to get trapped in one of these oven things, but that doesn't actually happen. But she retrieves all of these old sacks out of them, and she finds a, a, a jawbone. And we then find out basically these sacks are full of the cremated bodies of these kids. Yeah. Because um, when she tips them out, there's like a leg brace and stuff there that we had seen. Like one of the kids when they were small had a leg. Uh, it's a very harrowing scene, I've got to say. Um, like Laura, she's kind of covered in the ash and that. Obviously, she's very, very upset with what she's finding. I mean, you see the little things like the jawbone and the leg brace and that. It's a really effective scene. It's a very, very powerful scene. She's kind of yeah. sitting amongst the ashes and everything, you know. Um, Laura, at this point, begins to think that Benigna, the social worker woman, um, killed all of the kids because of what happened to Thomas. Yes. Like she, she blamed them and she'd killed them kind of thing. Um, so at this point, Carlos, he goes away for a couple of days. Um, and Laura, kinda, she embarks on this mission, if she like, she basically tries to turn the orphanage back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. So she cleans out the kids' rooms, puts them all back into the original dorm room, makes it up like with the wee dorm beds and all that kind of stuff. She makes a scarecrow, which we'd seen at the very, very beginning. There was a scarecrow in the ground. She makes one to match it, puts it in the grounds again. Mm-hmm. Um, and she basically turns it into the orphanage that she grew up in and she gets dressed in one of the old kind of matron's uniforms and stuff. And then she goes out and there's the old bell outside and she rings that and then she sits at the table um, with the dolls placed where the kids would be 
Yeah, yeah. And there's the blackberries in a bowl, which we saw in that old movie where we saw Thomas. All the kids are sitting about with a bowls of blackberries and stuff like that, and she's got all of this set up. She's trying to recreate this to bring the spirits back so that they'll speak to her kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem to work. And then she makes a deal that if she keeps playing, they'll tell her where Simone is. Mm-hmm. And what she does is she plays the knocking game, which we saw in the very first scene when they were playing. Yeah, Played this game where the person that was it, to use the kind of Scottish parlance, would stand with their back to everybody else and knock three times. I think they say something like one, two, three, knocking on the door or something like that. You know, it's like a kid's game. And then they turn around and everybody has to freeze. And then mm-hmm. they turn back to do it again and the kids try and get closer and closer until they can touch her and then it's like a game of chase. So she starts to do this. She starts to do the knocking and saying the wee rhyme kind of thing. Um, at first nothing seems to happen, then a door opens. And then the next time she does it, there's a child standing there. And then the next time she does it, there's more kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it happens just like the game. They get closer, they touch her and then they all run off. She goes following after them. Um, she goes into a cupboard... Um, the door keeps closing she gets kind of trapped in there while she's in there though she finds a door behind the wallpaper in the cupboard that had been wallpapered over Mm -hmm. and this harks back to the wallpaper and the opening credits kind of thing Um, behind that she finds stairs leading down and we go into a cellar and there's sort of drawings all over the wall and this is we interrupt our programme to bring you this important message If my messages have been getting through, then you've had time. You've had time to change things. If you if you didn't take my advice, then it's too late. Next week is when things will change, and they will never be the same again. God help us all. I hope you managed to change something. I hope you got this message, and I hope I hope my warnings won't come true. Now back to our show. Um, and here the kids coming down at the cellar and she's telling Simone, you know, just believe that they're not real, believe that they're not real. She opens her eyes though, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Everything's gone, including Simone. And then she sees a body in the corner lying on the floor. And she starts getting flashbacks to earlier scenes. And this bit is fucking brilliant because it's little bits that were in the film that I've not even mentioned now because I didn't even put them in my notes. Mm-hmm. But they start to piece together. When he, when Simone had the first fight with her, just before the other kids arrived, he wanted to take her and show her Thomas's little room. Yes. And she was saying, oh, nonsense, stop all this kind of thing. This is where it was. It was this room. He had found this cellar um, and found the room down there kind of thing. Um there was a bit earlier on a cupboard, stuff fell over in a cupboard and we can, I can have assumed, oh, it's the ghosts knocking things over, but it wasn't. This was obviously him going in to the cupboard and mm-hmm. knocking the stuff over. The banging that we heard was him banging to get out. And basically what has happened is Simone's gone into the, he's found his way down there and got trapped down there. Mm-hmm. She then... Um, she goes over to this body and it's got the sack on its head like the wee sack that takes off and it's Simone but he's a corpse he's been dead yeah. for months kind of thing and he's been there the whole time she's obviously she's absolutely heartbroken she's kind of cradling his wee body and that and then we see her taking pills uh, I think it's maybe his HIV medicine or something like that but she's taking kind of handfuls of pills 
um, and she wakes up and she just says, I want Simone back. And then we see her younger self kind of running through the garden mm-hmm. and the lighthouse is working again and suddenly Simone's alive again. And then we see the other children come in um, into the dorm beds and stuff like that and Thomas appears as well and all the children are alive again. Uh, and they all go to her and they know who she is and they're saying, it's Laura, it's Laura, look, she's older now. Um, and basically everybody's dead. Mm-hmm. And they're all happy. Um, and then later on, we see Carlos. He's laying flowers at a grave to Laura and, and Simone kind of thing. And he um, he finds a St. Christopher medal in the house. And he picks it up and the door opens behind him. And he just kind of smiles. Um, and it goes into the credits. Uh, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Orphanage is a, it's a really strange film. And a hard one to kind of pigeonhole. It's it is scary at points, and I got chills at points through it, like the old chills in the skin kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really sad, sad film, and yet it's a really happy ending. Yes. Even though everybody dies. Yes. And it's a horror film with a happy ending, where there's nothing but sadness and pain in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a a really enjoyable film. It's absolutely beautifully done. Um, it takes atmospheric to a whole new level. Absolutely, it just draws you in this film. Um, this is, without a shadow of a doubt, the best film I have watched in Basby Halloween. It's probably, if not at my favourite, a very close second of all the films we've done since starting working on this podcast. This is Dude, an, I'm smiling right now. I'm fucking overjoyed. Film. I'm overjoyed, man. Absolutely amazing film. It was so different from anything I've seen. This is nothing like any of the films I've seen. Not mm. like The Grudge or anything like that. They were the kind of ghost story type things that we watched. Uh, it's head and shoulders above any of them. It's a clever film. It's intelligent. It's really heartwarming, even though everybody fucking dies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't explain it. Tess loved it. My daughter loved it. She thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, it just worked on every level for her kind of thing. She got it. She got what happened at the end. Um, we ref- I, I refuse to talk to my wife too much about it because she'll love this film and yeah. I want her to watch it and you can't talk about this film without kind of ruining it because yes. it all leads up to that ending um, and the ending's brilliant it's so cleverly done and like I say the little things that it brings out in the flashbacks that reveal basically Simone getting trapped they were so inconsequential in the film mm-hmm. that I hadn't even fucking written them down you know, when when the um, when it came in the flashbacks, I remembered it all. But when I was going through the film in the early stages, I didn't even make note of those things because they, they appeared to mean nothing. And yet yeah. they were key to the whole thing. Um, I, I love this film, man. I, 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 I've been thinking about it ever since I watched it. It goes through my head a lot and I think about it. And, and I can't wait to watch this film again. I, I, I definitely think I'll watch this film again in the next couple of weeks anyway and I don't normally do that it's normally a long time before I watch a film for a second time kind of thing but I yeah. loved this film I wow. really really did it's fantastic and if anybody's not seen it you need to watch this film it's mm. just amazing loved it yeah oh dude I'm fucking you cannot you you can't see how smiling my face is right now <laughs> um this is like one of my favorite it's one of my favourite ghost stories for a start. Yeah. Um, but it's one of my favourite horror movies in the last decade. I 
genuinely think it's there's something to me about I mean this is obviously it's uh, Del Toro produced um, but it's very much within if, if I was shown this movie I would have thought Del Toro had directed it um, because it has his fingerprints all over it and uh, Biona the director he is I mean he's gone on to, to bigger things he did um, that fucking tsunami movie with uh, what's his face um, so you and McGregor. McGregor or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the impossible. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He, he followed up the orphanage with that movie. Right. Um, he's currently the director for the new World War Z movie. The so new one. His, yeah, the, the, the second, second one is going to get me. Right, yeah. I see, I see. So he's doing that. But where we may have talked of him before, and I, I don't know if you've ever. I don't know if this may be clocked because I mentioned this well ago I mentioned this movie before, well before Baz v Halloween the reason I mentioned it is because this guy directed two episodes of A Penny Dreadful and All right. when I, we were talking about the different directors he directed the first two I think and that's why I was like that I'm sold on this show because the director of the first two episodes directed one of my favourite horror movies so um, right, yeah, see. I don't actually I don't remember that at all I think you're well, for it but I don't yeah. remember that at the time <laughs> Um, basically where I think this movie shines um, and shines incredibly well is the fact that it kind of captures the, I mean when Del Toro does a horror movie um, especially things when you look at like and I'm fairly confident that you would love The Devil's Backbone which is like it's a Del Toro kind of kids ghost story where I think they do it is they kind of blur the lines between what I would class as almost fairy tale Um and in the real world, they kind of do this weird... What you were saying is kind of like fantastical. Uh-huh. Um, to me, it's almost like a fairy tale element, which they which they kind of weave in. It it's almost feels like it's been adapted from a kid's book, but designed for adults, if that makes sense. Um, that, that's the way I've always seen them. There's almost like a kind of childlike wonder. That's why I'm not surprised that Tess filmed it interesting if you know what I mean as uh, to me young adults will like this movie um, adults will like it as well because we'll see beyond the, the actual story the thing that you hit your the nail totally on the head is atmosphere this movie is packed with atmosphere mm-hmm. every scene and capture there's a I mean when I watch it there's certain sequences I can feel the hair on hairs on my arm stand up and that's not through fear it's just I can I feel the presence of the scenario mm-hmm. um and that movie from the very first time I've seen this movie like maybe about 10 times and in fact I watched it tonight before we started recording and when I put on my wife was getting ready to go out to one of our classes and she was walking past she's like what are you watching I was off and she's just like oh I love that movie um <laughs> And it's just one of these ones. I've never really met anyone that doesn't like the orphanage. Um, mm. I I never picked it because I thought it would be a scary movie because it's not. It's the same reason I didn't pick anything like Pontypool to be a scary movie because yeah. it's not. But to me, this is horror movies. To me, don't have to be all about the scares. Um, mm. They have to be. Sometimes it has to be about execution and the way a story can be told. And this is a horror story. Um, ultimately, what you have here is the the murdering of children uh-huh. um, and then ultimately the death of a child. So, I mean, it's... And it's the death of a child through parental negligence to an extent um, just because... What? Yeah, and, and, and some levels, it's like you say, she's she's not very cautious when it comes to the kid mm-hmm. um, and she doesn't really pay attention to him because he's a child. 
had she paid attention to him, she would have known where the secret room was. But mm-hmm. as a child, he's got an imaginary friend. You know what I mean? But that's how parents are. You know what I mean? Uh, kids live in their own wee world. They live in their own wee different world. And that's kind of where I think this movie captures that. It kind of captures this sort of surreal sort of you're not sure if it is imaginary friends or you're not sure if it is ghosts. And then by the time you try and catch on to what's actually happening in the film, all the things that you have disregarded through the film as minor details suddenly become major details. Mm -hmm. And they are major details to the kid, but minor details to the adult. So you are almost seeing, at the end of the movie, you're almost seeing the movie through the kid's eyes almost by picking up all the wee individual bits and bobs that have happened in the movie, which are trivial because you're an adult. Um, And that's, I think that's one of the strengths of this movie. I genuinely think it is, it's a phenomenal piece of work. And to hear you speak about it in such glowing terms when I was convinced up until about 20 minutes ago that you were going to you were going to pan this movie and oh. I was going to have to boot you off my podcast um, <laughs> has has made my night man honestly um, I love this movie I think it's it's brilliant and the fact you like it have you ever seen Pan's Labyrinth? No it's funny I was speaking to my friend Gay here today um, he was asking how I got on with the film <laughs> yeah. um, and it was the first thing he asked and I said actually no I've not I said but Duncan mentions it all the time Oh, it's um, in my top five movies of the last uh, 14 years. Yeah, I I'm intrigued to go movie. and watch it now, actually, because uh, I know it's not really a horror. It's Again, it's more of a fantastical kind of children's yeah. story almost, isn't yeah, it? It's right a, it's a dark, dark fairy tale. I, I classify it as horror because I think the elements that happen, there's sequences in that movie that are horror. It's the way it's handled. Mm-hmm. It takes horror elements and kind of transfers them over into the fairy tale setting but at its crux it's like a morality tale yeah. um, and it's set during the Spanish Civil War which makes it even more like some of the you've got all this kind of childlike wonder happening with creatures and the fantastic set amongst the fact that you've got a guy who's like a colonel in the Spanish military who's just executing peasants on the screen so it kind of all jumps- fascist army kind of thing Franco's yes. army kind of yeah. thing yeah, yeah. so it's it's juxtaposed against that, and a lot of Del Toro stuff is juxtaposed against that. Um, oh, like Devil's right. Backbone is also set during that time period as well, kind of just in a different setting. So um, you're gonna—I I think you'll have a blast with that. I think Tess would love that as well. I think mm-hmm. it's a really, really, really good movie. And the characters, oh, the character design is a beautiful movie. First and foremost, it's one of the yeah. most beautiful movies you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Creature design, setting. Everything, all the set pieces is phenomenal. Um, and Del Toro tends to put his name on. He tends to look out for the little guy, like the kind of Spanish directors or the Mexican directors that are coming out. Del Toro will become an executive producer on their project just to give it a bit more clout and get a wider release because he looks after his own. Um, and Mama is one such film. And I didn't necessarily think Mama worked all that great, but Mama is executively produced by Del Toro, so all right. you might want to check that movie out now, because I know you've got it. Yeah, I've got it sitting on my... Um, I've, I've recorded it on my telebox type thing, um, yeah. and I keep meaning to watch it. I wanted to watch it the other week, and you pricks made me watch fucking Ghostbusters. You fell asleep watching Ghostbusters. You pricks made me fall asleep and watching Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of thought I might watch it over the weekend there, but I didn't have as much TV watching time, so we when I was planning watching Mama, I ended up having to watch uh, The Orphanage. Although I'm, I'm very glad that I did, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So, Baz, but, um, 
Yes. If there's anything else you want to talk about this movie, we should do it now. If not, I need to ask you, and Netflix ratings, I'm pretty sure I know what this is, um, and Netflix ratings, what you would grade this movie. So, anything else you want to say? Um, no, not really. Other than I would just, if people listening haven't seen this film, really, really go and watch it. I, I, I just, I love this film. Everything about it. Um and it, it was it was such a pleasant change to get this happy ending, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a happy ending like everybody gets saved and everybody lives. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, just fucking genius the way it was done. I just loved it. Please go and watch it if you've not seen it. Awesome, right, Baz. So Netflix ratings: uh, one hated it, two didn't like it, three liked it, four really liked it, and five loved it. What's this movie? Five. Well, yeah, it's a five for me. It's a five. Yeah. It's a five for me as well. I think it's. Uh, I'm just glad that you enjoy it as much as I do. So <laughs> that makes yeah, me happy. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Like I say, I think it's the, uh, there's one or two of the ones that we've watched that I'd like to go back and watch. But this, I, I could probably sit down tonight and watch it again after having spoke about it for about half an hour. I could probably sit down and watch it again yeah. right now. That's awesome. Well, we now need to jump on, and I'm kind of getting a wee bit teary idea because we're about to do our final film in the Paranormal Activity <laughs> franchise um, until. Uh, I'm trying to think until 20. I'm trying to remember when they said, is it 20? I've got in my head it's 2016 is the next one. Um, so not even next year. Um, I may be wrong with that. Someone might correct me. But I think the last thing I read was they're delaying Ghost Dimension. Stupid fucking title. To 26 <laughs> to 2016. I may be wrong. But um, yeah, until that movie comes out, which we'll have to review just to be completists, um, this is the last one we're doing. And this is the spin off. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we're going to review the marked ones. You're going to hear the trailer for it, and uh, we're going to be right back after this. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh, my God, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, halfway through this movie, I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avengers. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. What do you have a bat in the back seat? The lady who got killed, she lives right under me. I had an idea. Let's go check downstairs. There's blood everywhere. Katie, Katie and Christy. What is this? This is some black magic stuff. Hey. She's got pictures of you. How does she have pictures of you? Dude, I had the craziest dreams. 
Check it out. What is it? It looks like a like a bite or something. Yeah, I've been getting this weird feeling. Have you guys ever felt like somebody's just watching you? You got change? Yeah, I got change. Put the camera at this. What's up, man? Hey! 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 Get in my back! They become the permanent hosts. So what's gonna happen to him? He won't be Jesse. So you've just heard the trailer for the final instalment in our Paranormal Activity retrospective. It was, of course, Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, from 2014. Um, right, this movie was directed by Christopher Landon. Um, well, the writers were Christopher Landon and Oren Pelly, uh, based on the movie Paranormal Activity, because this is a spin-off. Um, the film starred Andrew Jacobs, uh, Yogi Diaz, Gabrielle Walsh, Rene Victor, Naomi Gonzalez, David Schwedo, I think that is, I don't care, uh, Gloria <laughs> Sandolov, uh, Richard Cabral, uh, and a lot of other folk, fuck this. Um, anyway, the synopsis for this movie uh, is, um, Jesse begins experiencing a number of disturbing and unexplained things after the death of his neighbour. As he investigates, it isn't long before Jesse finds out he's been marked for possession by a malevolent demonic entity and it's only a matter of time before he is completely under its control. So, um, some information very quickly before we get into this movie. Um, uh, this franchise uh, was dying a slow, painful death by the time the movie hit the fourth one. The fourth one did incredibly poor. Still made tons of money, but um, in comparison to its predecessors, made less money. Um, the film company behind this movie looked at where their biggest demographic was, and it was found out that their biggest demographic was amongst Puerto Ricans and Latinos um, in America. So someone came up with this brilliant idea. What we will do is we will make a spin-off, which is set within the Puerto Rican and Latino community. We'll move it to the ghetto! Pretty much. Um, and move it away from the main story um, to do with Katie and uh, Hunter. So they move it completely away with that. We're getting a separate standalone story. We don't know when it's set um, in comparison to the other movies, to the best of my knowledge. I can't remember it saying... No, you do. You get a date at the start, mate. Do you? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so... Basically, what we have is this kind of spin-off 
but within the paranormal activity world in its universe um, and ironically this movie did poor um, the people that it was aimed at didn't show up to see the movie which is kind of I, I like to call that scenario snakes on a plane um, because <laughs> everyone everyone in their auntie said they were they really wanted to see snakes on a plane it went in the cinema and no fucker turned out to see it so um, basically <laughs> it's the snakes in a plane scenario um, so this movie um is the final one in the retrospective as it stands just now. Like I said earlier, I believe the next one is scheduled for a 2016 release. Um, so I think... I'm, I can never really remember. I'm sure it's 2016. Um, once again, someone will correct me. And it seems like the direction they're going is more in the direction of this one and less in the direction of the continuation of the story. Oh, from- for fuck's sake. From from what I, I mean, from the very brief description, it sounds like a reset button to me. But I don't know. But anyway, Baz, um, you sat down, yep, um, to watch Paranormal Activity: The Marked Ones. Let us know what you thought of this movie. Certainly shall. Um, yeah, I started down to watch this one tonight just before uh, I came on here. Um, this is the first one I've not watched with my wife. Um, just time constraints. Uh, we couldn't get her here in enough time to watch it kind of thing to go into the show um, as well. So I watched this one and she wasn't actually that bothered because I had explained. Um, I did know um, prior to watching it, you'd explained to me, it's, it's kind of a standalone thing. It's set in the paranormal activity universe, if you like, but it's yeah. not a direct tie into the, the, the previous films. Mm. So she wasn't really that bothered about it. Um, so I watched this one on my own. Um, the film itself opens at high school graduation in Oxnard, California on June 12th, 2012. Mm-hmm. So that's what you, you do. You get the date at the very start. Um, what this film doesn't have, have is all the dates, like uh, night one, you know, 18th of August. Uh, yeah. You don't get all of that shit through it, but you do get one date right at the start, which I think is kind of important later on. Um, but I think, as I said in one of my other reviews of one of these films, um, I, I can't keep track of what fucking dates are before, what and all that kind of thing. I'm not. I'm sure some wee Melvin somewhere is sat down and get them all mapped out in his wee notepad as he's watching it. <laughs> not the Baz, Baz too cool for shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we're at the, the typical US high school graduation type ceremony. Um, you know, what they think they're graduating at university, but they're really just leaving school. No, no offence to our American listeners. We don't put hats on like that till we get a degree, you know. Um, <laughs> just to alienate a few more people before oh, I alienate Paz, the Spanish. Paz, what are you doing to me here? What are you doing to me? The demographics are going to drop off my ratings. Love it. Um, and there's a, a young guy, one of the, the, I think they call him the, the valedictorian. Um, mm-hmm. It's what they call the kind of person that graduates top of the year or something like that given the speech at the, the thing i initially thought that this was the character of jesse who's the main character in it but i think it was revealed later it is in fact oscar mm-hmm. but i might be wrong on that as well to be honest i'm not interested enough to go and fucking look <laughs> um later on we're at a graduation party for some of the kids um there's no wild party their families are there and that it's just them celebrating finishing high school kind of thing um, and one of them, I think it's Jesse, the main character, is telling his friends about hearing weird noises from the neighbour's house. Um, later on, over the next day or so, we see him, he goes into a pawn shop to buy an HD video camera. It's 
the premise for him having the camera, it's just beyond fucking ropey, do you know what I mean? I've just graduated, I'm going to go buy a video camera and you guys get some high definition. Um, and he also, we find that he gets one of these uh, little GoPro head cams, you know, the type of thing, like mountain yeah. bikers wearing that. One of them gets thrown in for free. It's it's a fucking terrible scene. It's a terrible, <laughs> shitty premise for giving him a camera. He then wanders about filming his neighbourhood, and this is obviously trying to kind of set the scene. Um, he talks about his weird neighbour again. We find out her name is Anna. Um, and he mentions something about she keeps the windows covered so nobody can see what's going on. And his, his old granny, who's, a, who's a, one of the best things in this film, um, she thinks that she says she's a, I think the word is bruja or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Spanish word for witch. Um, there's then a completely irrelevant but very funny and one of the best scenes in the film scenes where you see the gran with one of those shake weights, you know, those <laughs> uh, exercise items that make you look like you're wanking. Um, yes. And it's the old granny one of them and she keeps saying, Jake weight, Jake weight. It's hilarious. It's the best bit in the film, quite frankly. <laughs> you probably see where this review is going already and my <laughs> fucking lack of interest in even talking about this. Um... <laughs> Right, so then with the later on the, the the two guys basically I think I, my notes are terrible for this film. I was struggling to write in. There's three main kind of characters in the wee group. There's Jesse who's the main character, and he has two friends, Hector and a girl called um and I didn't get her name too much later. Marisol. Mm-hmm. Um and the three of them, they're the wee kind of gang here, you know, and the guys are out later on messing about with a firework. And then this Oscar, who's the, this friend of theirs, comes, he basically sort of jumps down almost on top of them, like off a roof, and comes flying by them, running like the pelters as if he's running away from something. Nope, sorry, I've jumped completely ahead of myself. They don't, they just see him coming out of Anna's house. Uh, this is the old witch woman, they see him coming out of that house. Sorry, I've leapt ahead about 10 minutes there. Apologies, everybody. So, yes, he basically wanders out and doesn't really speak to them and leaves. Um, later on they hear some weird noises and screaming coming from this Anna's house we find out that the, um, Jessie's house is above hers so they're in a kind of apartment complex and she's down below um, and they hear this coming up through the air vents they can hear these noises um, so in typical teenage boy fashion they lower the GoPro camera down there on the end of a string <laughs> and they see a naked chick Um basically just standing naked in the middle of the room um, and, and we Hector is very excited by this um, <laughs> to, to the point that the film could really end it at this point he, he's, he's very over he's clearly never seen a vagina um, <laughs> at any point in his fucking life uh, then Anna comes in naked it's much less exciting to everybody involved when she comes in oh, she's yeah. about 60 or 70 year old and not in the best shape <laughs> um, she comes in naked thankfully we only see her for the back but her ass could devour planets <laughs> um, Galactus if you will there's a wee, co- wee comic joke for you all um, she comes in and then she starts painting a symbol on the girl's stomach um, I, th- I think it might be one of the symbols that we've seen before in the earlier films but I might be wrong in that anyway something disturbs them and they quickly pull their camera back up and I'm fairly sure Hector goes home to 
wank himself blind, I would imagine. Furiously tear the uh, head off it. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. I believe is the medical term for it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, next day, in fact, I can't remember what I'm talking about. That's meaningless. Um, <laughs> yeah, they basically they, they get shit. Uh, they, they send a wee kid in to wind her up, and she chases them off. Um, then they're messing about later on at night. Hector and Jesse are messing about with this firework, and Oscar comes flying down off the roof and goes past them like a bat out of hell kind of thing. Shortly after that, police turn up at the house and scheme. There's police everywhere telling everybody to move back. And they see Anna's body getting taken out of the flat. And they immediately think, God, Oscar must have done that because he basically ran out of her house kind of thing. Um, a while later, they're getting stoned, as you do. Um, and they decide they're going to go and investigate Anna's flat, as you probably wouldn't. <laughs> um, they break in. Um, yeah, they break into a crime scene. It was literally just the police must have left about an hour before and they decide they're going to break in. Zero. They, they literally pick up every object in that house with no <laughs> attempt to avoid putting fingerprints on it. Um, there's a stupid, shitty jump scare involving a shower. That's the worst jump scare in all of these five films. It's just fucking crap. Basically, the guy turns and he goes, Woo! It's fucking dreadful. Um... They then hear a baby crying. They find a room with an empty crib with a doll in it. They find some surgical tools. Mm-hmm. And then they find some videos, one of which is marked Katie and Christie 1988. Yes. Now, this is the first time there's any kind of mention of the other ones. And obviously, we know from earlier films that this box of tapes went missing. Yes. It was stolen from, I think, Christie's house. Um, and we have seen little clips of that tape as well in the third movie. Um, that was that piqued my interest initially. I thought, well, that's something at least there. I know you said it didn't tie in directly. I thought it would be even more detached than it actually yeah. turned out to be. So that piqued my interest. Yeah, I th- there, was a, there was a reason I kind of said that because there's a particular sequence right at the very end of this film that if I mm-hmm. said, oh, it ties in, then you know, yeah. I, 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 you yeah. can't, you can't talk about that we can talk about it here because yeah. we're assuming that if you're listening to this you either have no intentions of ever watching the film or you have seen it before so yeah yeah and, and if you have seen it before you can't unwatch it so <laughs> um the last room they go into he's got blood all over it uh, and then the word viva written on the wall i don't know if that's spanish for life or something think, like that I maybe think it is. yeah yeah um they find a journal, or what they think is some kind of journal, and then they get startled by Oscar's brother, um, who is in the house. He basically tells them all to fuck off. Um, It's kind of loosely implied that he's investigating what's going on. His wee brother's on the run or something like that, and he's trying to find out what he was doing in this house. Um, So the next day, the Oscar and Hector, sorry, Jesse and Hector and Marisol the girl are kind of looking through this journal slash book thing that they've found um, it doesn't look anything like a, a journal I've got to say uh, it looks more just like a big book um, and it's talking about fucking time travelling and shit like that uh, what else was happening I've, this is I'm so fucking bored with this film uh, oh, there's just illustrations in it and stuff like that and some of them have the same symbols are drawn on the girl and now it relates to a demon this is clearly their take on the Google search that we've had in most of the other films yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, 
Ah, it's beyond tenuous. Like, it makes the Google searches look fucking cryptic. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, there's a book. Oh, there's the same symbol. There we go. They go and then they decide that they're basically going to reenact some of the rituals or something like that. So they go and they make a black mirror. Yeah, by the way, this is the, this is the their version of the Ouija board. So, you no, know what I mean? It's like... No, it's not. No, that comes in later on. That's even worse. No, they make a black mirror and they, to use as a portal for spirits and then they break in to an abandoned church, church to perform yeah. the ritual. Yeah. And no, good ever, no good ever comes from making a black mirror, Buzz. Nope, or indeed breaking into an abandoned church. It's only <laughs> going to end fucking wrong. Um, and then I've written here, I'm really fucking bored. In my notes. <laughs> they perform the ritual, they're kind of messing about. Um, they hear somebody moving about in the church. They go to investigate, they think it's Hector, because he's left. So it's just Marisol and Jesse at this point. Um, they start to get a bit freaked out. They investigate the toilets. One of them's locked. They peek under the door. The door goes mental. They run off. Um, it's just, it's really lazy, this film. There's, you know what I mean? Um, the next day, though, Jesse says something about having a weird dream with lots of old women in it. Um, probably watching the video they made at Anna. Too much, if you ask me, but there we go. Um <laughs> But then we find that there's blood on his bed and he appears to have a kind of bite mark on his arm. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. this ties in with the other films as well. We've seen bite marks in at least two of them. The dog, the annoying chihuahua that they have, um, which I'm fairly sure is a fairly racist stereotype as well. Yeah, I've got a <laughs> chihuahua, they're Spanish. Yeah, we get it. Um, the dog doesn't seem to like him anymore. And then later on, they start playing Simon which is that old electronic game that made kind of very simplistic four-note music and you had to repeat it by pushing the big coloured panels on Simon and they start, they turn that into the Ouija board. That is their version. Sorry, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, they use a Simon toy as a Ouija board. And I've written here, right after that, beyond shite. (laughs) That is... One of the worst plot devices I think I've seen in any film ever. It's appalling. Do you know what I mean? Um, so they they, they they fairly quickly managed to figure out that this uh, simplistic 80s toy is communicating with somebody in a plane that they don't exist on. <laughs> Literally, we're in about three or four minutes, they've twigged that by it making one of two noises. Because <laughs> they don't even use all four noises. It's just fucking dreadful, Duncan. <laughs> so bad. Um, later on, Jesse's walking about the house. There's carry on at the door. He shuts the door and bolts it, and then his dad tries to get it. It's a really poor jump scare. None of these jump scares made me jump, by the way. I hasten to add, nah, I normally go through the roof. Um, um, Next day, Jesse implies there's something in the house with him, kind of idea. Which, again, we've seen in all the films, there comes a point where someday in one of these films goes, there's something in this house with us. The Gran keeps putting stuff all over the house to protect them all from evil. She's a little bit like the Hispanic maid in number two. Yep. Um, and then later on, Jesse and Hector, they do it night and they get mugged. Or Jesse does in particular. Hector just keeps on filming. As Jesse gets mugged. 
I would like to think if it was you, I would at least fucking put the camera down. Rather than just keep shouting, stop hitting them, but let me keep filming it. I would like to think that as well, Baz. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, basically, Jesse's on the ground as Hector fucking willy-nilly films this. Uh, and he's kind of crunched up, and then he basically lashes out, and he hits the two of them, and they, they literally fly. One guy in particular flies yards down the street kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse doesn't know what's happened. He doesn't have any recollection of any of this, even though he sees it on the camera, which Hector very kindly used to film him getting beaten up. Um, and they're now full-on using this essentially as a phone call to a, a phone line to hell. Do you know what I mean? It, it's like the... Get the Simon machine out, we'll give the demon a phone, see what he's up with, see what he wants here. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'll get answers out the demon with that, the Simon machine. That's what he do, bring it out in. It fucking honestly. So it duly answers every question apart from when he asks, if it, are you good? Are you good? At what? At riding? You know what I mean? At drinking? <laughs> Trigonometry? <laughs> Pish! Shite! Um, and then the next day, Jesse discovers he can levitate uh, and shows Hector, and the, the two of them are fair taken with this ability to levitate. Um, don't seem even in the slightest bit freaked out by it, I've got to say. <laughs> um, they're just really chuffed about it. They keep filming it all. Um, <laughs> rather amusingly, they try to get Hector to levitate off a chair and he just about breaks his neck. That, again, was quite funny. That was up there with the shake weight thing. I quite liked that. But um, mm. there, there is a dreadful scene where we discover that not only can Jesse levitate, but he can blow up an air mattress in one breath. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I, I can't even fucking believe I'm saying this. <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. Then they keep they keep doing it. They keep the big fat Hector. You lie down and I'll blow up you in it, and I'll blow up so hard that you fly up near about a foot. It, it's it's trash. It's so bad, so bad. Um, I've written here. I want to turn this off, <laughs> and I've, I've got to say, and see, in all honesty, and I don't think. With a possible exception of August Underground, I think this is the only film that I have watched for this podcast that I genuinely thought I could turn this off. I don't even fucking want to watch the end of this. It's dreadful. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I kept going. I kept going for the. I took one for the team and one for the listeners. So essentially, I took two. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I've actually written them and also wanted to turn this off. They're then driving about at night. They crash a party. They go home with two girls. The the old granny's sleeping in Jesse's house. So they'll break into Anna's house. So basically, the haunted demonic house will break in there with these two girls because that's bound to end well. Um, Jesse talks Hector into taking one girl away, basically, and uh, him and this other girl who's called Penelope are clearly about to go on age. She's very into it, by the way. She's a, she's a little bit slutty, Penelope, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so she sets up the film, the camera, because she's kinky. And he has to go away upstairs for a condom. Um, she's sitting about messing about on her phone. There's a she hears noises, and then she finds a trap door that nobody else had managed to find up to this point, mm-hmm. and opens it. And then, and this is probably the first kind of scare that there's an arm flies up out and grabs around the head, and that was quite a jump. You kind of knew something bad was going to happen, but it was the first one that actually evoked a kind of oh. Out of me kind of thing, you know, um, yeah. and also 
when it grabbed her, I thought, alright, she's going to feature doing that sad gone, but it doesn't. It, it holds on to her for quite a kind of prolonged period of time as she kind of fights against it. Maybe for about 10 or 15 seconds, it's kind of holding her, and then she manages to break away and basically runs out. Um, the bold and randy Jesse then runs back in and can't see anything. Oh, sorry, I missed a bit. She runs off, and then we see Oscar come out the trap door. Um, and he looks at the camera but doesn't think to get rid of the camera, even though he's on the run from the police. He thinks, oh, I'll let that camera record me coming out this trap door, and I'll just leave it there. Um, he then disappears, and then the bold and randy Jesse comes running in. Um, basically, Rick looks about, can't see it, and basically said, what the hell is she talking about? And I'm assuming at this point he's just thinking, right, I need to get her back in here again. Um, he also thinks that Hector's maybe messing about trying to wind him up. Yeah. He checks out a couple other rooms and then Oscar appears behind him. And again, you would expect that to be the classic looking about, looking about, looking about, turn around. Oh my God, there's Oscar looking all weird. No, uh, just turn around, there he is. But there's no, there's no impact in it. I don't know what it was they didn't do <laughs> because there's scares like that in all of the other films. But it, they just, I don't know, they fucking, they really lost their mojo. It just doesn't work. <laughs> um, and then he starts babbling on. He's looking kind of weird. His eyes are all black. Um, and he's rabbiting on about, um, she put put something inside me and that's why I had to kill her, basically Anna. Um, and he says to Jesse, you know, you're the same. We've got the same mark. And he's showing him the mark on his arm. And you can see stuff under his skin. Uh-huh. Like wee worms kind of roaming about and am I right in thinking we've not seen that in any other film have we? That's the first time Right I, I think what it was reminding me of actually was the strain The strain yeah yeah um, the, the idea that this kind of vampirism has passed through these little worms essentially that they get into people um, Spoiler if you've not watched the strain <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so he shows him that, you know. Jesse kind of goes running out after me, shouting to Hector, he's in the house, he's in the house, I'm chasing him, you know, he runs out into the street. And then Oscar falls out the sky into a parked car. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a minor kind of jump scare, but again, never near as impressive as some of the previous ones I've had. And I've written here, the, the next line I've written, in fact, as well, is there's no building of tension in this film like in all of the others, even the bad ones, you know, even number four. They do build the tension through it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the state that they did in the first, certainly the first one, probably two. But there is a, a, a gradual building of the tension and you feel yourself starting to get wound up. That is non-existent in this film. It's just a fairly shite film with some minor scares dotted about through it. There's no concentrated effort to kind of put you off your kilter and put you on edge. Mm-hmm. Which I think is probably his major feeling. Um, the next day, they decide they're going to go back and investigate this trapdoor because, again, that sounds like a brilliant idea. They find an altar, um, and there's photos of Jesse and his family, including a picture of Anna the witch, or well, we're calling her a witch, uh, mm-hmm. with Jesse's mum, who in the picture is pregnant with Jesse, and yes. there's another woman as well, another white woman that we don't really know about. Um, then they hear somebody above them in the flat. Uh, they kind of hide. So this, I'm assuming it's the same person, comes down into the cellar. There's plastic sheeting kind of hanging all over this cellar, like yeah. kind of curtains, so you can kind of see them through it. 
but they don't come through. They go back up. So if they've heard something checked out and then gone away again, um, they kind of peek up through the the floor hatch thing and see this woman there, um, and she just goes. There's nothing more to it, kind of thing. The one thing I had said was, you know, they're doing their kind of torches or the light off the camera and that, and they're looking directly up at the cracks. The women above would see the light shining yeah. through the cracks. Do you know what I mean? It, there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie as well. Um, then they kind of want to find out, well, how did my mum know Anna? We find out that the mum had died giving birth to Jesse. Um, dad's going like, would you fucking listen to yourself? What are you talking about? Kind of thing, you know? Um... He's like that. I hear you walking about at night. You're not getting enough sleep. And Jesse has no idea what he's talking about here. There's then a fairly horrible scene where he's kind of in the shower and he's pulling like black threads out of his eyes. Yeah. Which was quite an uncomfortable scene to watch, I've got to say. And it, it was quite out of place in the whole thing. It was quite an effective scene. Just didn't seem out. Of, it didn't. It was out of place for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does manage to keep filming this entire thing. Do you know what I mean? And again, it's like the last one. There's not even an attempt at a premise for these ca- cameras. It's basically people walking about with handheld cameras now and never putting them down. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? At least the first couple of films, they came up with an excuse to fit cameras around the house. And that's what you saw the filming. With this one and the last one, that doesn't happen. It's mm. literally just everybody carry a camera about with them. Do you know what I mean? It, Pish, sorry, it's pish. Um, she's filming the whole time, threads out the eyes. Uh, they then go to see Oscar's gangster brother that we met earlier in the house. We find out he's a bit of a gangster as well. He takes them into Oscar's room, and there's lots of clippings all over the walls, all relating to like kids, firstborn kids, and stuff like that. We find out that Oscar was adopted, and he actually was, in fact, a firstborn, even though he has this older brother. And there's a clipping about somebody called Ali Ray. Uh-huh. I thought this was Alex from the fourth film initially. Uh-huh. Was it because you know the blonde girl is Alex? Yeah. And it's like it's a clipping about this Ali Ray, and I thought, oh, maybe Alex Ray, maybe her second name is Ray. I didn't get this. I think we find out later on it's not in fact her. Mm-hmm. When they're leaving, Hector grabs this little post-it note about her and sticks it in his pocket, and that kind of becomes important later. Um, the brother. I think Arturo's his name. Um, it says that Oscar, but he was speaking about other marked ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've written here, you know, there's kind of little hints here about the other films. And, and these little hints, these nods towards the earlier films, really are the only interesting bits up to this point in this film, yeah. in my mind. Um, there's then a scene at a supermarket where Jesse goes nuts and starts attacking people. Um, I'm assuming it's meant to show his sort of descent into the possession, if you like, or something uh-huh. like that. Uh, we then go back to what I'm now referring to as Ouija Simon. Um, and I can't even remember what happened there because my notes say utter shite, bored. <laughs> um, later on, Jesse thinks he hears his dog, the crazy wee chihuahua that hates him now. Um, barking from the flat below he goes down there he thinks it's in the trap door and he goes down there as he's about to descend into the trap door we see a figure standing like a couple of rooms back Uh 
which was quite effective. That's quite creepy. We've seen that in the other films as well, just this figure appearing in the distance kind of thing, and I quite like that. Um, he then goes down into the cellar. Um, he finds two little black-eyed girls. There's no kind of fucking explanation or reasoning given for any of them. Mm-hmm. And bearing in mind that the whole premise is this is all about firstborn sons. Yeah. So why, why would these girls have been possessed? Do you know what I mean? Um, he tries to run away, the trap door shuts, we're assuming it's the creepy character in the background, and then something attacks him. Later on, Hector's in his room. We see the word, I don't know how you pronounce it, M-E-U-S, written on the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. It maybe means something in Spanish, I don't know. I can't be arsed looking up Google Translate, to be quite honest. If you can be bothered while I have it on, feel free. <laughs> um, Jesse turns up, so he didn't die in the cellar. He basically tells him to get out. Hector and Marisol go to meet the girl. It turns out to be this Ali Ray, who turns out to be more knowledgeable than Google on this demon stuff. So she's literally their Google search now. She tells them that this symbol they keep seeing is the symbol of the midwives. And they're a coven who mark unborn males uh, while still in the womb for future possession, if you like, and then they will take the grown males when they're adults for possession. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, at this point it's almost getting a wee bit Doctor Who kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But I can tell you right now that that particular word is Latin and it means mine. Mine? Mine. There we go. Mine, so there we go. Right, continue on, sorry. That adds nothing to this film for me. <laughs> um, yeah, and she also tells them about some final ritual that will take place and he won't be Jesse anymore after that. And I kind of assumed that's what had just happened to him. That's yeah. not the case. There's just there's really tenuous links. There's scenes that have no meaning at all. Um they then go back out of the room and they catch Jesse levitating the wee chihuahua and laughing. And I've written here it's kind of pointless and gratuitous. It serves nothing in the film. Mm. Uh, I think it's supposed to, oh, look how evil he's getting. He's torturing the helpless dog. It's shite. Uh, grandmother and the rest of the Scooby gang decide they're going to head down to the local voodoo store for some supplies to help fight this. Uh, the grand then performs some ceremonies. She tries to exercise Jesse with some eggs. Uh, during the egg exorcism, Jesse grabs her hand, breaking said egg. Uh, it appears to bleed. He's writhing about in pain. Shit goes a wee bit crazy. Camera goes night vision for some reason. Um, and then they look into the next room and there's a a really pointless effect where the kind of room starts to warp and mm-hmm. it's as if the room is made of elastic and somebody grabs a corner and pulls it back and mm-hmm. then fires it back in the way and Jesse pops in in midair. It, it's awful. It, there has been no effects like that before. We've had levitation used in all of the other films yeah. and used very effectively in some of them. Like really, really effectively in some of them. Why do they suddenly bring in this reality warp and think there is no need? And the, him popping out of the thing in mid-air, it, it's dreadful. It's like they decided to start throwing in 
some money on effects and yeah. just lost the impact of the low budget effects that they'd used before. Um, he's disappeared. They find him outside and he's pushed the grand down the stairs. And again, that should be one of the shocking moments in the film. And it's just no. Mm. It's the kind of knowing grin on his face when he looks at it. It just doesn't work. It's something like that in the other films, that kind of premise would have worked. This film, it just doesn't pull it off at all. Mm. He's then disappeared. They phone this alley character back who is able to give them the address of the very house that the final ritual will be performed in. Mm-hmm. Don't know why she didn't give them that earlier. Would have made sense. They go out in the car, the car conks out, Jesse appears, attacks them in the car. Uh, Marisol hits them in the head with a pole. They get in the car with the unconscious Jesse. They then get hit by another car in a kind of hit and run. Mm-hmm. And the people in that other car manage to take Jesse. Then they decide they're going to go and get Arturo, who is Oscar's gangster brother that we've met a couple of times. They Dude, you better the- not you better not slag off this bit. This bit is the only thing worth watching in this movie. <laughs> I've written here, right, they go get Arturo, brackets Oscar's brother, and go to house. Out come the Glocks. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus wept. Do you know what I mean? It's funny, because by this point, my wife had actually returned from work by this point, and we were sat down, she was having her dinner, so she kind of caught the last 10, 15 minutes of it, and she again knew of this kind of Latino premise behind this film, Yeah, yeah. and she went like that, the, the Glocks hadn't appeared, but she went like that, oh god, they try to make this all gangster or something, and I said, well not really, I said there, there were some gangsters in it earlier, but they're not a, part, a proper part of the film. <laughs> And then the guns and we turned in like 30 seconds later, they're in the boot pulling out the Glocks and all that, and I just turned in and I like, I'm sorry, that did totally help just get down the gangsters. It's now like boys in the Latino hood. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's dreadful. And then we go in, we're leading it to the kind of big final scene that we've seen, particularly in the last two, it's similar yep. to the scenes in, in parts three and four, more so than it is parts one and two. Yes. So Marisol and Hector, who is still filming everything, go in with Cheech and Chong, tooled up to fuck, <laughs> into the house. Um, there's some eerie chimes. They go to a door, it opens, and it's just a shed. Just mm-hmm. a shed. There's nothing happening in it. They go out of the garden, they find a kind of stable with bars on it, and then a woman jumps up at the bars, which is a wee bit of a jump scare. That woman seemed scared as if she was kind of wanting out, mm-hmm. as if she was kind of imprisoned, although I might be wrong in that. There's then another woman charges in at them in black. Arturo's big pal, he's got the old pump-action shotgun, blows her to fuck. <laughs> then another one runs in, boof, double tap, gone. And by this point, we're in a full-on gangster movie, so just hundreds of women dressed in black running... And the two Latino guys shoot everybody um, and then get killed themselves. I lost so much interest. I didn't actually see how they died, but they do. Mm. Uh, Marisol and Hector are trapped in the house. The house is all set up for the ritual. Marisol disappears. Her body then falls through a kind of glass conservatory ceiling. There's a quite effective bit where a scary kind of witch woman appears. Hector hides in a cupboard for a wee bit. 
waits till the stop rattling the doorknob and then goes out because obviously that means everything's safe if they yeah. stop rattling the doorknob. Do you know uh, what I mean? I know he's been movies. He then gets chased by Jesse. Can he get out? He might have been able to get out if he thought to put the camera down and use two hands, mm. but he doesn't, so he's stuck. Um, but then here Jesse kind of pleading with him to open the door as if I'm okay now, I'm not possessed. Big Hector, smart as attack, he's not falling for it. So Big Jesse punches his way through the door like a shite hulk. Um, <laughs> and then the camera goes all funny in the thought of Hector's dead. But then a wee while later, Hector's running about with the camera again, so we don't quite know how he figured how he escaped from Hulk Jesse, right? But he does. And then he's downstairs in the house, and a woman comes down the stairs, and I'm going, that's Katie. Mm. Oh, Jesus, this crazy mental Katie again. She's going to kill him. And I was I was quite surprised at this point because I didn't realise there was that much of a tie-in. Now, I know it's literally the last 90 seconds of the movie. Yeah. But I didn't see... I, I wasn't expecting any of the characters to have appeared other than maybe the clippings, the newspaper clippings that we'd seen earlier. But as it's sure enough, it's Katie. She basically comes down doing that slow, creepy, possessed walk, goes mm-hmm. in the kitchen... And she rummages about in a drawer, you either take a knife out, and then she just stands there and Larry Hector, don't go to her, it's Katie, she's mental, she's totally unhinged. But Big Hector, hello, hello, you know, she doesn't turn around, doesn't flinch. Right, Hector, in light of what's just happened to you, my friend, don't you think you can maybe just leave her alone? Do you know what I mean? You've just shouted hello, can you help me? She's ignoring you, she's four feet away, Hector, so she heard you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the house for hell, mate. You heard her take a knife out the drawer. No, not the bold Hector. The bold Hector goes up and gives her a wee tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, hen. Uh, to which point it turns round, and at this point you see full on it's Katie. There's mm-hmm. no mistake in it kind of thing. And she looks at him perfectly calm for a second and then starts screaming for Micah. And at this mm-hmm. point I'm like, all right, where the fuck's going on? What one's Micah again? <laughs> and it was like that guy, that's her husband for the first one, her boyfriend or whatever. For the first mm-hmm. one, right? And then he comes flying down the stairs. And I'm like that. Oh, I can get this now. Mm-hmm. This is the end of the first movie. Yes. Sure enough, he flies in, attacks Hector. There's a Latino in your house at that time of night, right? He's obviously on the rape. So he's, <laughs> he fly, flies at Hector. And then Katie grabs. Uh, Micah and it starts giving him the old stabbing yeah. um, and we realise right, this is what happened when he ran out of the room at the end of the first one Yes, he was down the stairs Hector at this point he runs off which you didn't hear in the first one you heard every other footstep but you didn't hear somebody running away and getting attacked yeah. uh, I'm maybe picking at semantics here um, he runs off Runs into a demonic version of Jesse who kills him. Mm-hmm. We get the classic kind of camera lying on the floor. And then I think it's the crazy witch woman that we saw five minutes earlier just leans over and turns the camera off. Mm-hmm. And then everybody just sits about thanking Jesus that she turned the camera off and the film's finished. <laughs> My final note there is basically it's the end of the first film. It ties into the end of the first film. Yes. I thought that was... It was interesting the way they tied it in at the end. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it was just really badly done or if I missed something and I'm maybe slightly confused, but surely yeah. Christ 
the two of them in the bedroom would have heard people running about their house slaughtering each other. Yeah, he did. He basically transferred... I'm sure it's a cupboard. The cupboard's the dimension. So, like, when... when Is it maybe the bit when the camera goes funny when big... Jesse the yeah. Hulk breaks through the door and the Jesse, camp Jesse, Yeah, I'm sure Jesse the Hulk breaks through the door. I didn't watch this before recording, but I'm sure Jesse the Hulk breaks through the door and he goes backwards into the cupboard and the cupboard's like a portal, which leads him to the cupboard in right. Thingy's house. I don't know if he goes into the cupboard, but certainly the camera goes weird and then the next thing you hear is Hector running with the camera and I'm like, well, how the fuck did he just get away from him? Yeah, because he, dis- he basically disappears. He, right. I, 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 my interpretation is that he goes through the cupboard and the cupboard is connected to Thingy's house, Katie's so, house, right. in the past. So he goes through into the past. Obviously, his presence being there is what we hear Katie screaming about, although I don't necessarily think that's... She, I think she was going to kill him either either way, but it ties loosely in, in that she sees him, she screams, Micah uh, runs downstairs, um, they get in a tussle, she kills him. He turns around and then Jesse's coming back through that the, that portal. Right. And he, he kind of brings him through and then yeah. the camera falls over and they're back in the present and that witch switches the camera off. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and this is, this I, is I, what... I'm not saying... Yeah, that that's perfectly plausible. Actually. Uh, on a premise like that, on a kind of time travelling or, or, you know, being able to pass through... In fact, they did mention time travelling earlier, actually, yes. didn't they? Yeah. See, this is, that does all... not bode well for a film then that they've called Ghost Dimension. No, this, is, this, is, no, this is the point. This is what they're saying, oh, that no. basically they think Ghost Dimension is going to be some convoluted way to tie in other things that have happened in previous films, which to me is pointless I think some of the effectiveness of the effectiveness of that end sequence in the first movie is we don't know what she's screaming about um, yeah. and the fact that he runs downstairs and then the next time we see him he's hurtling towards a character works um, we don't need to see anything else um, this movie to me I think and this is one of the reasons I don't dislike it in comparison to four, I actually prefer it to four because I think that we get a bit once again we get a bit more information about the the coven. We don't get enough of it, but at least they're touching on it. And the fourth one, we don't get anything to do with the coven to the very end. And to be honest with you, it's the same sort of thing we get at the end of three. At least they're trying to explain a bit of the the kind of thing behind what a marked one is. Why they're so desperate to get the 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 firstborn hunter basically why they want to get Hunter, is that these kids have all been selected. Um, so we get a bit of that. I don't necessarily think it's well executed, but at least they're trying to progress the story. The thing that confused me is why spend so much time stressing that this is a, you know, a spin-off, a side thing, if ultimately at the end of it you shit yourself and tie it into the first movie. It's, yeah. it's kind of almost as, as if like they're saying, no, we want this movie to bring in people because this is a standalone entity, this is something different. But people that watch the paranormal activity movies won't come and see it if they don't get something that ties in with the paranormal yeah. activity franchise, and see, that to me is like a cop out. I've got to say, I think that ending makes it the least standalone film of all of them. Yeah, because essentially, to understand that ending, you need to have seen the first one, yes. and you pretty much really need to have seen at least the next two. Mm-hmm. 
as well Definitely. to fully understand what happens to that. So you're right. I mean, it makes it, it a complete mockery of the idea of having a standalone fucking film. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm not entirely sure because once again, I'm working off memory. I saw this movie a couple of months ago, but I think the women that you were saying, the white women that standing beside, mm-hmm. uh, thing, I, I'm sure that's Katie's grandmother. I may be wrong, but I think that's Katie's grandmother. I didn't pick up on that, I've got to say. I might, I, I've I might seen be, all of the films in the yeah. past few weeks, obviously. Um, I might be, I might be blowing smoke out my ass, but I'm, I'm fairly sure that's, I'm right. sure that's her. Um, because when I was watching it, that was one of the things the videotape, the grandmother and the photo, and I was like, oh well, we are kind of getting some sort of connection here. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we're doing that, but we are getting it. Um, so yeah. Um, to, to me, I think what I liked about the movie, like I say, is there's a bit of the mythology which, once again, gets kind of at least covered, which I kind of appreciate, even though they don't necessarily do it well. I love the idea that we get, like, shotguns versus witches at the end of this movie. Um, I, I, that, that, to me, is a massive tick, because in all the previous movies, we've seen grown men run away from old women, which, to me, has made no fucking sense at all. Um, you know, if an old woman starts coming walking towards you with her arms or like that, if you're threatened and you're a guy, you've knocked the fuck at her and move, she's an old woman. You know what I mean? Ah, but if you're in a state of, if you've been built up into a state of real terror, do you not think? Would you, you not go, just leg it? Do you know what I mean? But I, I think I think the exact opposite. I think if I was threatened by an old woman, you know what I mean? I could understand when there was lots of them. But in previous sequences, we've seen an old woman walk around and someone be like, oh, shut the door, shut the door. I've never really understood that. I love so the you fact would attack them? If, yeah, if I was fucking scared for my life and I'd seen freaky shit happening and then an old woman started coming towards me, I would punch her and run. Yeah, uh, see, <laughs> you do come across like a violent, misogynistic woman beater there, though, Duncan. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's never, it's, uh, that, that side of things is not, and it doesn't help that most of the male characters in this one have been fairly... Dull. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I love, yeah. I love the fact in this one that basically what you get is you get what you would expect from, I mean, from generic thug type folk. You know what I mean? Is I, I love the fact that in this one they're just like that. An old woman runs towards a gang member, kind of wearing a black robe and all the rest. They just shoot her. Um, and I, what I would like to have seen is I'd like to have seen more of that, but that's just me. Kind of wanting that's that's me kind of begging for the movie to do something really exciting, um, which you don't really get. Um, I think overall, my 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 kind of take on the movie is that um, I prefer it to the fourth one, but not so much that it even rivals the first three. If I was to do the order of these movies, I like them. Um, it goes three, one, two, the marked ones, and four. So and the marked ones in four are pretty low down. Um, so anything else? Anything uh, else you want to say, Baz? Yeah, um, I would just. I I think this is by far the worst of them all. Um, right. I, I could get on board with four far more than I could get on board with this. I just. It's interesting, actually, you mentioned something there just a minute ago as well, which I hadn't really picked up on when I watched it. Been thinking about you're absolutely right. The characters in this film are dreadful. Yeah, the cat. You, you do not relate in any way to any. You don't even hate them. 
but they're just generic. They're generic yeah. stereotypes of it's like once it's like those studio execs have sat there and said we need to do a movie that you know hits out towards the Puerto Rican or the Latino market. So uh-huh. we'll just make them the most generic. Oh, they're overly religious people, um, or they're gang members, and there's no middle ground. Yeah. Um, and that that offends me because that's like if you're going to make a movie which is aimed at a particular subsection of society or a particular uh, race or whatever, you try and make them the most authentic three-dimensional characters possible. I mean, if Katie and Mika are three-dimensional characters in the first movie, which they are, um, how is it so difficult to do that in the Latino community? I don't mm. understand that. So, yeah, that's a big great for me. That's a, a, and I, You see that in a lot of horror movies, and it's white people writing... It's white people writing for for a black characters or for for Latino characters or Asian characters or whatever with the, the most generic stereotypes. It's like they've got a, a like a fucking paintbrush and a tin of generic paint, which should just like wash over the screen because that's what it comes across as. And there's not one character in this movie other than the grand who I genuinely feel sorry for. Um, there's not one character in this movie that I sympathise with, um, empathise with, or even care about. Uh, yeah. Which is, which unfortunately is what I feel with the majority of modern found footage movies, and it is I feel massive distance from where this franchise starts, um, and that's why I said to you um, that you would watch Paranormal Activity. By the time you were finished with it, um, the franchise, you would be in a completely different place, and I think, I think I was right. I <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh, it's I. Uh... It's before, in my mind, this one's by far the worst. Um, I think it's interesting you did your listen there. I, my preferences of these films, I think, runs in order that I watched them actually. Do I, 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 yeah, I liked the first one the best, I think, and kind of gradually. Two and three, I think I probably like run about the same. They're quite different films. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I probably preferred two just because it ran into one very nicely. Um, yeah. And then three took you away from it a wee bit, which I think worked. Two and three are possibly interchangeable, um, but I, yeah, I, I think four is far better than this one. I, I could get on board right. with four far more than this one. I really, I thought, I thought, I struggled to find anything in this. And I know you're laughing at the kind of gangster, but you quite dug that. I just, yeah. no, that just turned me off completely. Right. Um, that, but I just thought that was fucking ridiculous. There was no need for it. Um, no, <laughs> to, not to, a fan to, of this film at all. The the reason I, I I do it in reverse is I find four so boring. I think, and I know you you found this one fairly boring. There was enough yeah. individual elements in here, even though logic is flung against the wall in this movie. There's enough individual elements paced out in this movie that that entertain me in comparison to the fourth one, where there is massive periods of inactivity and little payoff. Mm. Um, so, but that's that. I mean, that's these things are going to happen. It's all subjective. So, Baz, yes, I've got two questions to ask you, my friend. Okay, dokey. Right. The first question is that in the Immortal Pantheon, the stage, the battle of Baz versus Halloween, who won this bout? Oh, Baz did. I knew Baz was winning <laughs> this bout. <laughs> the second question I've got to ask you is on the Netflix rating scale, how do you rate this movie? A one. You give this one a one. I give this one a two point five. Um, it's just under. Uh, I liked it. Um, it's not quite there yet. There's enough elements that kind of elevate it above 
some of the scores that I've given, you know, uh, well, elevate above four, which I gave a one to. So I think we've actually traded scores um, from the last one. I think you gave four a 2.5. Um, and yeah, I, I think it did actually. I think yeah. I think we've just reversed that, which accurately said, yeah, kind of ties into what we've just said, basically. Exactly, <laughs> pretty much, which is it should be no surprise to folk. Then, right, we're going to take a very short break. Then, when we return, we're going to close out this show. We're going to be right back after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. Warning: The Midnight Horror Show is not safe for work and is definitely not for the faint of heart. The following is a small sample of what you'll hear live every Wednesday night at seven at AllRadioX.com. I ain't heard from you shitheads for fucking years. Now, Webula, we do this thing that's called a live radio show on the internet, and so there's people that interact with us. Yeah, they're listening and responding to us right now in real time. Who, who, who's talking shit? <laughs> Fuck, Somebody's talking shit. Someone named Fuckface. And so then, fuck you, fuckface. Oh, oh, you think we'll go off on tangents <laughs> on the Midnight Horror? Have show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? He was masturbating into the the corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh, nasty motherfucker. <laughs> we're gonna end the show on corpse fucking this time. Apparently, anytime you talk about necrophilia, you're talking. It's gonna take a certain kind of person to watch it. Yes, it's a charmed life. Fuck you. <laughs> You can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at AllRadioX.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the AllRadioX.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. Welcome back. So you've been listening to this very special edition of the podcast Under the Stairs. It has been Baz v Halloween, episode number five. So we have, over the last five weeks, went right through the entire Paranormal Activity franchise, scoring them against Baz. The end score was Halloween 3, the Baz, a very respectable 2. Um, so Baz, I hope you have enjoyed this trolling through, even though the movies did get progressively worse. I uh, no, I definitely have. Um it's been an experience. Um both the paranormal activity films and the other ones that we've watched. Um there were some great films in amongst that. There was some films that I didn't enjoy. There was some I thought I was going in I didn't. There was some that I didn't mm-hmm. think I was going to enjoy that I loved. Um yeah. and like I said I think at the start of the show it has been hard work. It's the most intense kind of period of horror watching I've ever had in my life um, mm-hmm. and as I said I think it was around about episode 3 that was when I started to realise that this was having a wee bit of an effect on me out with the watching of them I was mm-hmm. starting to get freaked out and that's not something I thought I was going to get um, it's kind of less now I think particularly with the films I've seen since then kind of thing you know but um, it's a very intense period of cramming all these films in it's not been an easy job, I've got to say. It's been enjoyable and it's been great fun. And I'm very glad that we did it. And I can't wait to think what we're going to do next year. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I- I'm looking forward to a bit of a break, I've got to say. <laughs> well, uh, for our listeners, you will not be getting a break because the next episode that they're going to hear is the, the commentary 
which we've already yes. done. So Aye. you are getting the break, but the listeners have a seamless transition. Um, so the next episode that will be dropping on Halloween will be the Halloween special, which is Baz V Horror, episode 12, marking out the end of the first year of Baz V Horror, where we did our live video commentary, joined by David Buchanan from Rock and Roll Reviews for Grave Encounters. Um, we're then going to take a week off after that, Baz, to recoup. Mm-hmm. Um, when we return the week after that, uh, which will be the second week in November, we're going to do the anniversary show for Baz V Horror, which I'll be posting loads of things on the Facebook page to get people asking questions in, and uh, we'll be reliving some of your finer moments on the old podcast via some clips that we've have dug out uh, of like the, the best and worst of Baz, um, <laughs> and which I'm looking forward to doing. Then. Uh, at the end of that show, I'll finally be able to power up this bad boy that's sitting beside the computer, which I'm very keen to... Uh, I think I've almost got everything connected up, so um, we will be able to boost the transition power of this uh, podcast, possibly beyond this plan, actually. I'm kind of kind of thinking we'll be able to send a signal into space. Um, but uh, So I'm, I'm looking, for, looking forward to that as well. Um, so all I can say right now is thanks very much to the Baz for... for Giving up a bit of his free time to to cram in five weeks of horror watching, um, like you say, some of it's been good, some of it's been not so good, some of it's been awful. But that is the <laughs> that is the the gamble that every horror fan takes whenever they watch a movie. You never really know what you're going to get. Um, at the end of the podcast, I usually like to do some shout outs. I'm going to kind of keep them brief because this episode is running about the the two and a quarter hour mark. Uh, I kind of like to keep the Basby uh, Halloweens uh, kind of concise. So um, check out the shows on Legion. Um, check out the shows on Horophilia. Make sure you check out Kiss the Goat, Kruger Nation, and show some love to our friends Rachel and Andy over at the Big Horror and Little Podcast. Um, Baz, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? I would indeed. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening to this. I hope you've enjoyed Baz V Halloween as much as I have, and I will speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. And remember, guys, you can check out uh, the podcast under the stairs on Facebook. Join in our group. At, um, if you go over to Facebook, type in the top search bar. Podcast under the stairs, come across, we will accept you. You can leave us feedback on iTunes. Um, any feedback you give us, which is positive, boosts us up the ratings. means that there's more likely some chance that some person will come across this podcast. You can leave us feedback um, by email at podcastunderthestairs at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter at tputzcast. Um, thanks very much for checking out these segments. I hope you enjoyed the video commentary when it lands. I hope you've enjoyed Baz going through all these movies and we will speak to you very, very soon on the, the one year anniversary of Baz V Horror. Until then, take care of yourselves and I'll speak to you all very soon from Under the Stairs. This is Doug McLeish saying bye everyone. <laughs>
can share this skin We can know how we feel inside Instead of going down an endless road Not knowing if we did or lie around. 